voice hearings, voice 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 hearings, voice 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 this is Hearing Voices, conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive. Now, here's your host, the voice of your fighting Tigers, Chris Blair. Welcome in, everybody, and uh, getting ready as we head down the final stretch of the 2022 college football season. LSU back at home after getting out of Arkansas, very chilly Arkansas, last Saturday, 13-10. to 10, And as it would turn out after the Tigers landed uh, at the Baton Rouge Airport, we were informed that uh, Alabama had indeed defeated Ole Miss. And your fighting Tigers are the 2022 SEC West champions. Now this week, they step out of conference. They take on the Blazers of UAB. Going to be a late one at Tigers Stadium. And while I don't think it'll be as cool as it was in Fayetteville at 11 a.m., it's still going to be rather chilly for South Louisiana standards, so uh, make sure you, you bundle up a little bit. Uh, and, uh, of course, I imagine there's other things to keep you warm as well. But we uh, look forward to a matchup coming up on Saturday night in Death Valley. As we do each and every week here on Hearing Voices, it's a chance to, to get a chance to, to talk, listen, and learn, as I like to say, from some of the voices that bring college sports alive. And this week with LSU hosting UAB, why not have the voice of the Blazers, David Crane, join us. David, uh, over 15 years as the voice of the Blazers, uh, over a decade with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome to the show, first-time guest. David, thanks for taking time out. My pleasure. Uh, looking forward to another trip to Baton Rouge. It's been a while uh, since I've been able to get down there and enjoy some some good food and all the all the friendly folks that'll be waiting on us when we roll into the stadium on Saturday afternoon. No doubt about it. I've told people before. I was told when I arrived seven years ago that you'll never go hungry on game day, and that goes for the visiting <laughs> team as well, and certainly the visiting broadcast crew. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, David, again, a lot of people knew you uh, at your time with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. I think if I've got my timeline right, somewhere around 2007 or so, um, you became the voice of the Blazers, uh, again, an alum of the University of Alabama. So I wanted to go back even before uh, you, you returned, or I shouldn't say returned, you took over the mic for the Blazers. And that is, growing up, uh, who, who were the heroes? When did, when did it go off in your head that, you know, being a sportscaster would be something I'm interested in doing? And then who were you looking and listening to to try to not necessarily copy, but but inspired you to, to go after this endeavor? That's that's a great question. And um, I, I grew up um, in a time in the, you know, when I was starting to figure it out um, where you didn't have wall-to-wall games all, every, all day, every weekend, uh, you know, growing up, uh, in Alabama, we would see Alabama or Auburn two or three times a year on television. That was it. And so, uh, I guess I was a, a sophomore junior in high school and just started listening to a lot of games. Uh, we, we had Auburn fans in our family. We had Alabama fans in our family. So we, you know, we listened to a, a lot of the, those broadcasts as everybody does. And then it just sort of, grew into um you know if i could pick up lsu on a saturday night i'd I'd listen to an lsu game i could pick up some tennessee games from time to time and so um listening to the radio broadcast is is certainly what got me interested um you know we grew up um as most people i guess in alabama do atlanta braves fans so you you did get to see the braves 
uh, every single night growing up. And, and we always loved um, whoever the announced team was. Skip Carey, you know, was was just the best, the most entertaining. Uh, and, and so just watching a lot of sports, listening to some radio broadcasts, going into my senior year in high school, that's kind of when I decided that I might like to possibly give this this thing a shot. Well, I, I mentioned that, you know, you had a chance to, to work with the Crimson Tide Sports Network and, and obviously going to the University of Alabama. But many people may say, OK, well, that's the instant connection. But you and I both know that that's not how it works. There are a lot of people that all of us went to school somewhere, thought this is what we want to be, whatever that field happened to be. How did you get the opportunity to, to crack in there on the network? As you said, growing up, I mean, it was there was Auburn's network. There was Alabama's network. Uh, and then how did you find that opportunity? And I'm sure it didn't lay in your lap. You probably had to, to work or at least ask a question or two to get involved. Yeah. And, and like, um, a lot of people in, in these jobs and, and, you know, any job really, it helps to, to have some friends, uh, who have friends who have friends. And, and that was certainly the case for me. Um, when I sort of, started doing this and, and working on our high school football uh, broadcast. And then later uh, I got to do our, our girls basketball play-by-play uh, that year, my, my senior year in high school. So I, you know, I figured it out that what I wanted to do going to Alabama for the, the broadcast school there. Um, my sister had a, a connection through her work um, with the athletic department at Alabama. And she drove me down there in the, spring and I, I got to meet with a, an associate athletic director and told him what I wanted to do. And he sort of set up a meeting with the engineer, Tom Stipe, who's still there. Yep. And, and it, it just kind of a, a, a trickle down effect. And so that, that first year I got to go on the, the field and go in the booth a couple of times and just sort of watch. Uh, and then my next year in school, second year, I, I started working in the sports information office. Um, and so around athletics more and more and, and got to know the people who ran the radio network and helped do, you know, little things here and there. Um, and then after I graduated uh, from Alabama, I interned one year in sports information. And after that, I went to work um, for the, the, the radio network, which was uh, housed in Birmingham at the time. So I moved to Birmingham. Um, as we know, things things change, uh, rights change hands, and and so uh, a different rights holder took over, and I was very fortunate that they asked me to to come work for the new Alabama network uh, back in Tuscaloosa. So that that's sort of the the path I took to to get into it, and I was very fortunate to um, watch a lot of football games, call a lot of women's basketball games, call a ton of baseball games on radio, um, and then transitioned uh, to the UAB, as you said, uh, in 2000, 2007, I get to tell everybody Alabama hired Nick Saban in January and UAB hired me in July. So I hadn't had to deal with any of, of <laughs> that stuff that, that they've been doing for the last 15 years out of Tuscaloosa. <laughs> That's a great story. You know, it's interesting you talk about, you know, coming up and, and being around it and then having the opportunity to do a little bit more, a little bit more. And then, as you say, once uh, you got back to Tuscaloosa, then you started doing basketball and baseball. I, I'm interested to know because my time at Clemson started out basically setting up the booth. Um, basically I, I, they called it a producer. I really was, 
uh, just kind of the guy plugging wires in, and I wasn't even mm-hmm. up to engineer status. Um, <laughs> and then did some work on the on the post game show, but it it was being around it while at the same time doing high school games. So doing high school on Friday night, and then traveling wherever Clemson happened to be on Saturday. Sometimes it was in Maryland, sometimes it was in Tallahassee. But um, to me, it was worth getting reps doing high school, and then mm-hmm. going and working with Clemson and learning how the sausage is made, so to speak. How important was that even when you got to the point where you were doing more on-air work incredibly important and and i remember the 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 guy that called decatur red raider football um and gave me my start the the first thing he taught me was to how to pack the equipment here's how you do it don't screw it up don't break the equipment and and this is you know i'm going to let you do this but you're going to have to carry the equipment around, pack it, unpack it, you know, set it up. So yeah, learning just how to plug stuff in um, was was incredibly valuable. And I tell people to this day, um, if you're going to get in this business, there are a few things you got to learn right out of the gate. And very little of it has to do with doing spotting charts and, and calling play-by-play. It's, it's the, the technical stuff, the um, – the not the non-glamorous kind of part of this deal um where you, you learn how to set stuff up take it down troubleshoot because it doesn't always go well um i remember having to scale down into an office in a high school gym to do some alligator clips on the phone because something else would work you know so stuff that thankfully we don't have to worry about that stuff these days but with the technology as good as it is but um yeah the behind the scenes stuff i, I remember getting to go uh, sit in the TV booth. I was going to get to do uh, a here's a blast from the past, a pay per view telecast uh, of Alabama <laughs> football years ago, and had never obviously never done TV. So I got to go down. They let me go down. Um, I was the the studio host on the radio side at that point. Let me skip the the first half of the game, or really kind of skip the game, do post game, go down and and sit in the TV booth. It was a Jefferson Pilot game. I think Tim Brando was was calling the play by play. And was nice enough to just let me sit in the booth, look at his spotting charts, watch how they do a, a TV telecast for a half. And so that was incredibly uh, beneficial. Um, so any, I, I, you know, I'm sure you say the same thing to people that want to get in the business. Just do everything you can. Work in every aspect of sports or announcing or whatever it is. Figure out what you like to do. Figure out what you don't like to do. Uh, but it's all valuable in, in some form or fashion. I couldn't agree with you more. David Crane, our guest, voice of the Blazers. He and his broadcast team will be at Tiger Stadium coming up on Saturday as UAB and LSU get together. Quick story, David, I'm sure you would appreciate. One of the first years I was at Clemson, they were asking me to kind of roll up about 150 foot of coax um, <laughs> uh, out in front of Little John Coliseum. And so Again, I was 19, 20. I, I pick it up and I start doing it like you would a, a garden hose, right? So I just elbowed mm-hmm. a wrist, right? And I'll never forget our network engineer came flying out uh, from behind one of the buildings and just screaming at me like, what are you doing? And actually then taught me how to correctly uh, handle coax and for that matter, even microphone cable. And it wasn't mm-hmm. six months ago. Uh, we were doing a test of one of our uh, broadcast locations here on campus, and a young intern was going to go grab some cable and pick it up and immediately did the same thing. We all have learned as a <laughs> youngster, you know, with like cleaning up the weed eater uh, or any long uh, right. extension cord. 
And I remember having the same reaction. But I do believe that they will now understand how to do it. And that's what I learned. And I, and I think it's important that if you understand how, whether it's television or radio, you understand mm -hmm. how it gets from here to there, then distributed and then sent out by whatever means necessary. I found it comforting to know how it all works as opposed to just showing up and saying, all I have to do is sit here and talk for three hours. Because if something goes wrong, it really is a scary feeling when you have no idea how to fix it. Yeah. And uh, in a perfect world, nothing ever goes wrong. We've had um, at UAB the, the first year they won the, the division championship. It was an overtime game against Southern Miss. And you'll be shocked to know something went wrong at Legion Field. And our Ethernet was gone for almost the entire second half. And so for about the third quarter, I was calling the game on my cell phone. And thankfully, our engineer, who's been doing it for a long time, got busy, found somehow or another an old phone line that was still active in the press box and, you know, got in there and, and duct tape and, and everything else got us back on the air over a phone line. And so got to call the, the fourth quarter in overtime uh, almost normally. Uh, it still didn't sound very good, but at least I wasn't holding the, the phone up to me. So, yeah, it's... I, I guess if you don't know all the ins and outs, you can always just say, you know, what what my fault? I, I, I can't fix that. You can't blame me. Um, but at the same time, when it's just you and you're calling a game and engineering it yourself, you better know, you better have some idea of, of how to fix those problems when they arise because they're going to. Yeah, it's amazing how many people are surprised when I tell them I engineer basketball and baseball. Uh, they're like, wait a minute, you don't have a whole team of engineers? I'm like, no, well, first off, you don't need it, especially if you know how to do it. And uh, But you're right. I mean, when it goes wrong, it can't point your finger then and say uh, it was his fault. It's, it's <laughs> right. on you. Uh, again, David Craig, nice enough to join us uh, as LSU gets ready to host UAB out of conference. It'll be a battle of SEC and Conference USA. Real quick before we talk football, David, though, you, you made the, the joke, which I appreciated, that you got out of Tuscaloosa just before Nick Saban came in and everything <laughs> went downhill. But having been an alum of the University of Alabama, I thought it would be interesting because you were working, as I said, over a decade uh, on the air and behind the scenes with the Crimson Tide Sports Network. What was it about UAB or that opportunity that at that moment said, this is the right move for me. Obviously, it's been successful, as I've mentioned, well over 15 years now as the voice of the Blazers. But I, I can't imagine it was an easy, uh, an easy decision. Well, you know, it, it wasn't. Um, I had a lot of friends and had had a lot of fun um, doing everything that I was getting to do at Alabama. And, and you're at, at Alabama. You're at an SEC school. Uh, I had an office inside Bryant-Denny Stadium, um, which was kind of cool to go in there on a daily basis but it, the way it worked out um the uab job came open the year before i got it i went up and interviewed and and thought i had a pretty good chance of, of getting it and didn't and as it you know fate works out um the, the job came open again the next year and at that point i, I went up interviewed again um i knew the general manager i had worked with him in alabama so the the connection certainly helped a little bit but you know it was a chance to 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 be the the lead announcer um and we all know how precious these jobs are so that the the opportunities don't come along very often and the fact that i would have to move all of you know 50 minutes up the road i could still be close to my friends 
in Tuscaloosa. My family is in most of my family is in North Alabama or or Tennessee at this point. So able to, to stay close to them. I didn't have to pack up, pick up and move my entire life and, and start, you know, some somewhere where I didn't know a single person. So I, I think it was a, a an easier transition than maybe some people have to make when they take a job like this. And it's been great. I, I've, I've worked with some incredibly uh, nice people, uh, had a lot of fun, uh, traveled a ton, um, won a few games, lost a, a few games, but just the chance to, to, you know, sounds a little hokey, live out a, maybe not a lifelong dream, but a dream that, that kind of came to me when I was 17 or 18 years old. Uh, it's, it's hard to beat. Well, it certainly worked out for you and worked out for UAB. Speaking of UAB, um, you know, when I got to Georgia Southern in 2006, that was a program that got started back in 1981. And, you, you, you know, you, you take for granted that there are schools that have been playing football uh, for 125, 130 mm-hmm. years. Uh, I think some people might be surprised to know UAB started football in 1991. Which for, I know the young kids, that seems like forever ago, but for you and I, (laughs) in relative terms, that's really yesterday. But what's interesting about that is that UAB over the last, really after, we're going to talk about it, but after they shutter the program, you know, that can sometimes be an absolute death knell. I have to imagine that for you and those working there, once it comes down that, hey, we're going to stop football, um, you just don't think you're ever going to get it back. Two questions. Were you aware that that was a possibility way out before it leaked in Sports Illustrated? Did you get a sense maybe that was coming? Did you think, oh, that's just rumor? And then when it hit, what was it like to be there for those that work around football directly that football was going away? Um, it was it, it was a surreal situation, something I hope I'd never have to, to go through again and, and wouldn't wish it on on anybody. Um I, the memory fades a little bit, but I, I do think there were a few little hints and rumblings. So I, I have to say that when the announcement was made, the official announcement was made, um, I was not surprised. None of the folks kind of around me um, was surprised. I, I think they knew what was coming, unfortunately. Um, but to to be there and see the reaction of the players and see the reaction of the fans um, to look out my office window and see coaches, assistant coaches from other schools sitting out on the park bench outside the football building, basically interviewing players um, after the, the, the program had been eliminated. It was a free for all. Uh, it, was, it was like assistant coaches on a re- recruiting trip and, and shopping, sitting out and interviewing players um, on the side of the road and, and trying to get them to, to come play football somewhere else. And so a lot of them did. But um, to survive that six months or, or the, the period between uh, the, the shuttering and the rebirth of UAB football, um, it's yeah. Again, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It was it was extremely unusual. It was uncomfortable. All the uncertainty. Um, would would I have a job? Would would our company uh, stay at UAB just to broadcast basketball games or, or whatever else? So, uh, you know, it, it was some some sleepless nights. I will certainly admit to that. Again, that happens, and football is gone. 
And I think for all of us, again, obviously that weren't in and around the program, weren't in Birmingham, it, it, it came as a shock. And then we're like, could that really happen? And then, of course, you always have the conspiracy if it was Alabama didn't want football successful and they closed the program down, which we all know wasn't true. But how fast did those rumblings start to come back that, wait a minute, there's a real push here to get the money or get the support or whatever was lacking. Suddenly, the, the alumni, the fan base, and the city of Birmingham, the campus community, mm-hmm. how fast did you get a sense of, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a pulse it's faint, but there is a pulse. You know, it, it took a little while. Uh, there were a lot of, of angry people and a lot of bitter feelings. And, and but then, the you know, the longer it went and, and the more you heard the local business leaders were willing to step up and the fans were willing to step up and, and, and pony up and pay, Um you sort of got the feeling, well, okay, all right, let's let's see where this goes. And then Bill Clark basically said, "Look, if y'all can pull this off, I'll stay." Uh, he had options, opportunities to go elsewhere uh, during that time, but he he made it known at some point in the process. Again, the, the memory isn't isn't what it used to be, but um, I think once he said, "If y'all can do this, I'll stay," that sort of spurred it on a little bit more, um, and so. The longer it went and the more money was being promised, um, you kind of got a sense that nope, maybe maybe they can actually pull this thing off. Um, I, 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 I guess I had been overcome with pessimism at that point. I, I just wasn't sure it would ever really come back, uh, but it has, and it's, it's the best it's ever been. I, I've said this several times that, I, again, wouldn't wish it on anybody, Somebody asked me if it was just a giant marketing plan uh, that they had it, you know, figured out all along. They were going to kill it and then bring it back and all that. I can assure you, it was it was not a marketing ploy. Um, and at the same time, it was the best thing that ever happened because it showed folks that may have taken it for granted that you can't. Uh, there, it's not guaranteed to be here forever. And if you want UAB football, you're going to have to support it. You're going to have to come to games. You're going to have to buy season tickets. You're going to have to pay money. You're going to have to help build facilities, do do the things that that every other fan base does. And so it was a wake-up call. Uh, and it's been great to see the, the business community in Birmingham really figure out that what's good – for UAB is good for Birmingham and what's good for Birmingham is UAB being good. And so um, it, it's been amazing to, to watch the transformation, see facilities being built. And um, it, it's, it's amazing to think um, what I was walking out, watching practice, watch them practice on with potholes in it and people breaking or twisting ankles, stepping in, in holes on the, the grass practice field to what they've got now. It's, it's, it's a remarkable run and, and, Somebody's going to make a movie about it. Hollywood won't believe it's all true, but it, it, it would make a fantastic movie. Again, David, is that great hairband from the 90s and 80s, Cinderella. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And obviously Birmingham figured that out. I, I've seen numbers somewhere around $37, $38 million uh, that got infused into the program. Obviously a new stadium now that opened, I believe, mm-hmm. in 2021. New practice facility, as you alluded to. Uh, really a remarkable story, and, and I guess ESPN hadn't done a 30 for 30 yet, but I, I think that <laughs> is yet. prime 
prime for a great story. Let's talk about where that has um, delivered UAB football. And, and I brought that up simply because I was looking five – I, I have this right? Five bowl appearances by Blazer football teams? Or six? Uh, you put me on the spot. That no, I, think, right. I think it's five or six. But since the resurgence and since Bill Clark had been the head coach at UAB, they've gone to five straight. So I guess maybe it's six overall, five straight. Uh, and again, coming into this season, there were high hopes. Uh, I know preseason near the top expected in Conference USA. Hasn't worked that way um, for this team. I guess it started Coach Clark with some back issues, had to go through some uh, pretty uh, intense back surgery, had to step down in June. That certainly was a shot to the program that was certainly exploded after being uh, – uh, put back in and, and football returning to UAB. Uh, then you take that blow. Uh, you get the interim coach uh, who puts this team together. And then there's been five of the – you're five and five. Five losses of 27 points or more. It tells you how close those games have been. Explain to us what, what's it been like this season as we get ready to see UAB here in week number 11 based on what was preseason – and where they have found themselves 10 weeks into the year. It, it's been frustrating uh, because so much was expected of this team. Um, there was a lot of talent back uh, from a squad that came up literally inches short of, of getting into the championship game last year. So I, I think everybody was expecting championship kind of a bust this season. And the losses have just all been excruciating. As you said, I think it's a total of 27 points in, in the five losses combined. So, and it's been little things here, you know, it's been turnovers, it's been penalties. Um, it, it's been not making the play when you just absolutely had to, uh, you, you make the play to get into overtime against UTSA and you come up short and double overtime. So it, it's been it it has been frustrating because they've been so close in all of the games. They have all been right there with a chance to to win it, to to take it to overtime, whatever the case may be. But the impressive thing to me is how again how close they have been in all these games. They have never given up. It would have been awfully easy several times to just throw up your hands and say, "Well, it's just not their day. It's not going to happen." They keep fighting. There, there's never been any division on the team, no finger pointing, none of that. The, the coaching staff has, has coached like they are 10 and 0 right now. And the players have played like they're 10 and 0. You, you watch this team practice, you watch them play. And I really think you would be shocked to see their record at five and five. And, and that's not a, that's not a knock on anybody. We all know how hard it is to win football games. So um, you, 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 almost got the sense that they had to play a perfect game. Uh, and, and when that is the feeling, when, when you feel like you have to play perfectly every single time, that's probably when the mistakes start to, to creep in just a little bit. So um, it, it's been, it's been frustrating at times. It's been inspiring really at times to see how this team has stuck together. Um, and they played some good football. They, they've had some bad breaks. They, they, they've made some mistakes. Um, but I, I, I truly think that they know what they're capable of. They just hadn't quite put it all together yet. 
Well, again, I went back and looked it up. They have been bowl eligible six times, played in five bowl games. Now, the Gasparilla Bowl they were going to take on South Carolina was canceled during that COVID year. Um, but since Bill Clark has been there, 17, 18, 19, and 21, they have played in bowl games. So you got to come to Louisiana, to Baton Rouge, to take on LSU in week number 11. Then you finish up the year in the Conference USA against Louisiana Tech. So the chance to be bowl eligible here in 2022 is going to be decided in the state of Louisiana. But I want to talk about the personnel because one guy that is certainly on the minds of Coach Kelly, Matt House, defensive staff, is Dwayne McBride. This young man is something to watch running the football. And you don't just have one really good running back. you got two great running backs in this arsenal. But talk about McBride. Again, second, I think, in total yards rushing, leads the country in yards per game. Uh, I think second maybe in touchdowns by a running back. This, I mean, the numbers are eye-popping. No. Jermaine Brown also a big part of the running. How, how are those two utilized? Is it this guy goes, this guy goes? Are they on the field at the same time? What do we expect on Saturday? Um, it, it's been more, as you would expect, Dwayne McBride. Um, Jermaine Brown is coming off the best game he's ever played at UAB a week ago. Uh, and he was he was running like Dwayne McBride, running through people, running through tackles, uh, finishing runs, um, and, and thankfully finally got in the end zone with under a minute to go to, 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 to cap off a really special day for him. But Dwayne McBride is, is just one of those rare athletes um, that, that you don't get to enjoy all that often and so to watch him run he's had 100 yards in every game this year didn't play the first game uh and is still leading the country yards per game um heading into this week so he he just has he's got it all he's got tremendous balance he's got amazing speed that you don't necessarily think he does until you watch him just outrun people um very seldom do you see the first guy get him down very seldom do you see an open field tackle on him where it's a one-on-one situation and, and, the, and the defender's able to make the stop. So he's incredibly gifted, runs like it's his last opportunity to ever get his hands on the football every single time he gets his hands <laughs> on the football. Um, but they're, they're a good, you know, it's a great duo. They're, they're different. Um, Jermaine's probably a little bit better pass catcher and maybe blocker as well so you'll probably see him in there on third and long passing obvious passing downs if they're going to keep a back in there it's probably going to be Jermaine uh, I think his his passing game skills are maybe a little bit ahead of Dwayne's at this point every now and then you'll see him in there together uh, sometimes Dwayne will be in the backfield and they'll they'll split Jermaine out wide but um they rotate them pretty well. It's not like Dwayne McBride gets 35 carries a game, and that's just it. They, they do try to mix it up, keep them fresh as best they can, uh, and let them just keep rotating and, and, and pounding on the defense, uh, which they have done pretty successfully this year. No doubt about it. They're one of the best tandems in college football in the running back position. Let's talk quarterback. Dylan Hopkins, we expect, will be the starter. I notice at times the, the transfer, Jacob Zeno, has seen time at quarterback, fill us in for those who didn't see those games. Is that 
just uh, a change of pace? Was it an injury? Do we expect to see yeah. both? Or is this going to be Hopkins' game? Who, by the way, was uh, All-Conference USA his freshman season. So uh, when I look at their numbers, you talk about McBride, you talk about Brown, and you almost think, well, this is a one-dimensional offensive team for offensive coordinator Darren Henshaw. But that's not the case. Pretty balanced. Tell us about the quarterbacks. Who will we see? And what type of game will they bring? I, I think if all goes according to plan, it'll be Dylan Hopkins. He got banged up in the Western Kentucky game at the end of the first quarter, uh, went into uh, concussion protocol and and had a couple other little things, I think, pop up along the way. So he missed the next two games. And Jacob Zeno was the starter, uh, finished out the Western Kentucky game and then was the starter for those next two ball games. Um, and the, the only bright side of that was the coaching staff really thought he might win the starting job um, leading into the season. He did not, but they made sure to get him at least a series uh, in each of the, the games for the most part. It may have been one game that he didn't get a series in. but he, So he got a little playing time. He's then thrust into the, the starting role, and I thought played well. Um, you, you really could not pin those losses on, on Jacob Zeno uh, because I thought he played really well as the starting quarterback. He's got a bigger arm than Dylan Hopkins, um, but Dylan is just one of those – tough you know we we all hate the term game manager um because that that seems to be a negative things when you're talking about a quarterback these days but he runs this offense very well uh, and it was great to get him back he was back in the starting lineup last week for uab went the entire game but um it, it's just a little um you know you get, you get the starting quarterback knocked out you lose a couple of games you get the starting quarterback back you win a game and I think everybody just feels that the offense is 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 in a good spot, but very capable hands uh, should Jacob Zeno be, be forced into action again on Saturday night. It's great to have David Crane take some time and kind of break down the Blazers who will be showing up to Death Valley this coming Saturday night. Again, late kickoff just after 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. Uh, lastly, defensively, uh, giving up about 21 points a game on the season. What can we expect? What is the style? What is the philosophy of this David Reeves Blazer defense? It's been um, it's been the calling card really of UAB uh, since Bill Clark got here and and carrying over obviously to this year. Um, this it, it, and it kind of starts on the back end and, and works works its way forward. They're very experienced in the secondary. Um, they have. They have not given up a ton of big plays. Again, you, you go back to the struggles and, and the five losses. It's maybe one blown assignment by the defense in the secondary or wherever the case may be that allows a big play. But for the most part, they had not given up a ton of big plays. Secondary is very good. The linebackers, Noah Wilder, seems to me to be in on every single tackle. I think he's third now all time at UAB career tackles. And then the front line was kind of the question mark coming into the season. They lost a lot of talented guys, not a ton of experience back on the defensive front, but I think they've been very solid. Um, it may not be statistically the, the the dominating UAB defense that we've seen the last couple of years, uh, but they've been pretty stingy. Uh, they held a, a very good North Texas offense, about 16 points and, and about 200 yards under their averages last weekend uh so I, I think it's a confident bunch um that's looking forward to a, a great challenge on saturday night and and i think that goes for the, the entire uab team uh, as a whole you know i think people want to see what Dwayne mcbride can do against an sec defense 
on the road. They want to see what this UAB defense can do against one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in the country uh, who's playing at an incredibly high level right now. So, uh, you know, the curiosity uh, is certainly there. Uh, I think UAB is excited about the opportunity. It's been, what, nine years, I guess, since since we were last down there for a, for a football game. So uh, it, it should be a lot of fun, and I, I do expect UAB to come out and play a, a, a solid, solid ball game on Saturday night. Well, there's one thing about it, David. Uh, UAB has a great – uh, percentage against LSU, 50%, uh, one and one all time. 2013 LSU got the win. First meeting in 2000, uh, went to UAB right here in Baton Rouge. I was talking to some friends of mine uh, that I worked with at Georgia Southern. I was preparing this week, David, to speak to how good your secondary is. I texted them and said, who didn't get an interception for the Blazers against Georgia Southern in that game? Seemed like everybody had their season. First interception uh, came against the Eagles uh, early on this season. Well, David, again, looking forward to the matchup. Uh, I know Coach Vincent, during his press conference this week, said he was excited, his team was excited about that opportunity to match skills uh, against, uh, as he put it, a top-ten team, number six now, according to the College Football Playoff Committee. Um, so it should be a great night. And, uh, again, hope you travel safe. We'll stop by, say hello. We'll meet in person for the first time. I'm looking forward to that. And I can't thank you again for taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule, as I told you before we get started. Every week's busy getting ready for college football, but when you got to travel and basically Friday's off the map, um, I thank you again for, for taking time out for us. My pleasure, and, and certainly looking forward to another visit to, to Death Valley. All right, that's David Crane. He's been nice enough to be our guest this week on Hearing Voices. And I got some news, good news and bad news, Tiger fans. The, the good news for you, no Hearing Voices next week. The bad news for you is because I will be sitting out on the beach in Grand Cayman Island. So uh, that's the bad news. Uh, but we will be back following that uh, with another episode of Hearing Voices. So thanks to Harrison again on the ones and twos, our guest David Crane, and we thank you for joining us. And until we meet again, this is Chris Blair, still hearing voices.